0: We want to release our Calvary next now. That's what we want to do. Thank you. Okay. You guys have an awesome time. Thank you, Kelly. Let's thank Kelly. (laughs) All right. Um, There are uh, notes for today's message that are on the counter. Lola, would you pass the ones out under today? If you need, if, yeah, we're not going to use our app today in the service, so if you want, until the very end anyway, so if you want some notes for following along in my message, just raise your hand and Lola will get you a copy. Just one, one per family. The devotion will be handed out at the very end. I've got those up here for this coming week. So we are going through the major themes of the Bible together. And we're using a tool called the Bible Engagement Project which actually um, provides all the curriculum for our Sunday School classes too. And so our kids are learning, (laughs) some at least, of what we're learning as we go through. Now this is a little different and different is often very uncomfortable for us. And I want you guys to understand, church is not the same as going to a theater. It's not the same as going to the movies. It's not supposed to be just comfortable. Of course, we are comforted by the Lord, right? We're comforted by one another, our friendships and stuff. But I am primarily called to be a shepherd and a spiritual dad or father that more than I am a brother or a friend. You hear that? I'm called to be a pastor. Sometimes pastors are called to provoke people, to um, warn people, to admonish people. You need to move forward. You need to, you need to do stuff that you aren't doing. And so sometimes we ask you guys to do things that are a little uncomfortable. And if you're visiting with us today, um, I pray that the Lord will just give you grace on it because I'm not trying to make you feel like, uh, like you're uh, in a tough place. But we are calling our, our people to do two things. To know and love God better and to know and love one another better. Does that sound like a couple commandments Jesus gave? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy mind, thy, st- thy soul, thy strength, and love your brother, or like my brother, as myself. And so when we do things like ask you to scoot next to somebody else and, and pray for one another, or to, ask, or to answer, or talk about a question together, I'm not trying to make life hard for you. I'm trying to help you to grow and develop in your relationship with the Lord. And so, so there, may be, there will be some times today where I'm going to encourage you, and if you're uncomfortable doing it with a person you don't know, then do it with somebody you do know, like your partner or a friend. But I'm going to ask you guys to talk about a question. Now, we're not going to do as many questions as we did last week. It was a little bit overkill. We are gonna, there are going to be a couple questions for you to answer and talk about as a couple or a small group? Yes, Maria? Oh, what about it? We did it. We took it. Yeah. We received the offering. Thank you, Maria. Didn't you appreciate Maria cares about the bills being paid? I appreciate that, too. We love you so much. And thank you for your testimony and sharing this morning. It's just, this has been an amazing day. So, yeah, when we, we, when we ask you to gather together, we're asking you to gather together with like three or four people, okay? So three people max. Three, yeah, two or three people. That way you'll have time to answer questions. And the last couple of weeks we haven't had enough time to answer questions. And that's, So we're going to reduce the amount of questions that I ask you guys to talk about, which is going to make it a little bit easier for you. So let um, see what else I want to... Oh, at the very end, I'm going to pass out, for those that don't have the Bible Engagement Project app on your phone, I made some paper copies of the devotions for this coming week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That's, there's five devotions. It's, they're each about a paragraph, two paragraphs. It's really not very much. And uh, so I want to make sure if you don't have the Bible Engagement Project app on your phone yet, make sure that you get one of these and take it home. This is for folks that don't have a smartphone or only have a clamshell or don't have a phone at all, okay? Now, if you have a smartphone, then we, we want you to get on the app. All you've got to do is let me know you need the app and I'll send you an invite. And then you just follow the directions and you'll be on the, on the app with us. So today we're not going to be using the app for my message. I'm going to be sharing stuff that's beyond and outside the lesson, but it does cover the same scriptures and some of the same basic truths but I really want to, uh, I've been praying, and I feel like the Lord put some things in my heart that He wanted me to talk about today. So, all right, well we're going to start off. Genesis is a huge gift to us. We're starting at the beginning of the year, the first part of the Bible. The first couple pages of the Bible, three or four pages, is where we're at. Okay? And Genesis, one of the purposes for it is that God gave us this book, this dialogue with Moses, who was the author, we're told, of the first five books of the Bible. He gave Moses these things to help us answer the most important questions. These are fundamental questions about existence and meaning, which everybody has to answer at some point in your life. Even if you don't answer it knowingly, you're wondering what the answers to these questions are. And so Everybody lives their life out of what they believe are the answers to these questions in Genesis. Think about this. What are some of these questions? First one, where are we? Where are we? What is this world we find ourselves living in? How did it get here? Where is it going? And then another question, who are we? Who am, what am I? As you know, there are lots and lots of answers that are being thrown out there today. You doing okay back there in sound booth? Okay, I heard heard you making noise, Dale. I want to make sure you're okay. Yeah, yeah. So, another one. Next question. Why are we the way we are? Why are people... Fill in the blank. Selfish? Why are people betrayers? Why do people lie? Why are we broken like we are, okay? I'm asking more questions than Dale has slides for. That's why I think I'm frustrating him. Another another question, what am I here for? Which is the whole thing about what is my significance? What is my purpose? Do I have a purpose? Do I have significance? What's wrong? And we've already touched on this a little bit. Is there a problem around here? If so, what is the problem? How long has the problem been with us? Been here. Is there a solution to the problem? If so, what is the solution? When did the solution begin to the solution of the problem we call sin? And this is kind of fun. Am I pre-solution, mid-solution, or post-solution? It's kind of fun. And the last question I'm mentioning in this list is what time is it? In other words, where are we in the timeline that stretches from history behind us to where things culminate? Where are we in God's plan that's unfolding? And this is taken from a, a, a Middleton and Walsh, a couple that wrote a book called Truth is Stranger Than It Used to Be. <laughs> fun fun uh, title, huh? So the first few Bibles pages of the Bible are created to provide a framework for us to begin to answer these questions. Now, the Bible was written, Genesis was written specifically, 3,000 years ago to an agricultural uh, tribe of Hebrews. So it wasn't necessarily written to provide all scientific answers that we want. And so we struggle with the, the, the tension between the Bible and science today. And that's a subject that I love to talk about. We can do that another day. But it does answer, at least begin to answer, and then the rest of the Bible continues to answer some of the most fundamental questions. I want to look at three of those fundamental questions today. Two of them aren't even on the list that I just shared with you. The first one is, who is God? What does Genesis tell us? What does the first few pages of our Bible tell us about God. Who is he? And uh, so I want to ask you to throw out some words. And then I'll, I'll throw out a few that I know if I don't hear the ones I, that I know, that I, I, I thought about. But so just, just throw out words. Who is God? Okay, creator. creator. First thing. Right Right on. Good. Okay, who else? Father. Father. Good. Who else? Teacher. Teacher. Okay, what else? He plans, ahead. he plans ahead. He's a planner. He's an architect. Yeah. What else? Art and Omega. Artist. I like that. Alpha and Omega beginning and the end. Okay. That's really not in Genesis too much. The beginning is, but it's kind of implied. That's good, Sam. Okay. What else? What other characteristics do we see of God in, as we read in Genesis? Pardon? Holy. Holy. Yeah. Okay. Good. Those are some great ones. I, I, intimate. intimate. Okay. In other words, he's relational. Very, very important. Good. And so I encourage you, when you're reading through Genesis, you might even keep a little notepad or a note on your phone, what I'm learning about who God is. I added in, and I, and I wrote down most of the things you guys said, I put in that He gives us choice. I put in that he uh, is wise, that he's powerful. And it was mentioned that he's an artist. So he's relational, he's considerate. He's generous. So those are cool. The second question I want to throw out and, and get your answers is, is who, who am I as I was originally created to be? What When you look at the description of the first humans, what before the fall, that we're going to talk about in a little bit, what, what were people like? Trusted. Trusted. Ooh, that's a good one. This takes a little more thought. Let me throw out a couple of mine while you're thinking, and then you guys throw out a couple more. We were created. God said we were good. Created in God's image. Yes. If, if I pull out a picture of Francisco and held it up, I'd say, what do I have in my hand? You would say, oh, that's Francisco. But is this Francisco? No, he's over there. This is a picture or an image of Francisco. Pardon? Oh yeah, there's Francisco. Where is he? That's him. And th- this is not me, no. It <laughs> used to be me when I had hair. So Genesis helps us understand what we were created and what God's intention was for us to be. He called us to be create co-creators and rulers with him in the earth. Does that blow you away a little bit? God called us to be relational, to walk in relationship with him. He called us to be in relationship. He, we remember he said it was not good for Adam to be alone. So God created a partner. And like Brooke mentioned, we were created with a will, we can make choices, be trusted Including the potential to make bad choices. Third question: How were man and God supposed to relate together? What was what was the relationship supposed to look like? Daily. Harmony. Yeah, good point. What else? Talking daily, Talking daily. communication. Yes. Friendship. Friendship. Very good. Any else? Well? Any other ideas? I think like a yeah. Uh, respect and honor for one another, or fear of the Lord. Yeah. Good. Awesome, awesome. You guys are coming up with some great, great answers this morning. So, but we know in chapter 3 that everything changed. And we're going to read about that in a minute. Adam and Eve chose to act independently of God. They chose not to trust Him. They chose to believe the lie of a third party we're going to talk about it in a minute. So let's look at chapter 3. And if you've got your Bible open, you can do that or you can follow along. We did, I did put the scriptures on the, on the slides today. So the first thing we see, there's six things that I, I noticed in chapter 3. There's a lying, deceiving snake called the serpent. Now isn't Genesis bizarre? It's got kind of a talking snake. You ever thought of it that way? And this snake is the agent or the cause of their fall. Now they had to cooperate, so they are also part of the reason. But the snake incited their fall. He tempted them. That's why he's called the tempter. So let's read Genesis 3:1, starting there. Go down through five verses. The serpent was the shrewdest. I like think King James says subtle, more subtle not settle, subtle. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals of the, the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat of the fruit from this, of any of the trees of the garden? In other words, he says to Eve, you guys can't eat any of the fruit. He's, starting, he's, trying, he's using a tactic to get to her. And she says, of course we can eat fruit from the trees of the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you're going to die. You won't die, said the serpent said to the woman, replied to the woman. God knows your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you're going to be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now, we could unpack this for months. There's so much just in this passage right here that I'm not going to go into today. That's part of your daily devotions. It's going to ask you questions about um, what, we, what we're talking about today and help you go deeper. And in, in your church, in, in your Bible engagement project, there's also a, in the library a thing called family devotions that actually go a little bit deeper than just the adult uh, devotions do. And again, if you need the app, just ask me and I'll send you an invite again and show you how to, how to put it on your phone. And then you won't need the paper. So let's look at the snake for a second. Uh, Dr. Michael Heiser... Um, is a, who is the Hebrew and Greek scholar for the, um, the Logos Study Bible, International Study Bible, he um, has some really good videos and he talks about this. The Hebrew word for snake there is the word nachash. It's three syllables. Now Hebrew doesn't have vowels. It's, so it's an N, an H or a CH, and an S-H, nachash. You don't have to say it if you don't want. But The the weird thing is, because it has no vowels, Hebrew doesn't, these three syllables make up three different words. One is a noun, one is a verb, and one is an adjective. Now, let me, this is really fascinating. The noun means serpent or serpentine in shape. In other words, it kind of spirals, like on the, if you go see the sign at the doctor's office, it's got that that, um, pole and it's got a snake wrapped around it. Serpentine. So that's what the noun means. Okay, the verb form means to deceive or to practice divination. Divination is where you use witchcraft to find out information, okay? Interesting, huh? The verb means to deceive. And then the adjective form of these three syllables means to shine or to be luminous or to be reflective. Kind of like a mirror reflects. It's actually was described of brass in the Old Testament, because brass was polished and used to provide ladies with mirrors. And so the enemy that is really a better description than the serpent here is a serpentine, shining being who deceives. And that really lines up with who we see him to be throughout the Bible. So One of his titles that a lot of people use is called The Shining One. The Shining One. So I'm not going to go into more detail about who this serpent is, but he is some form of an angelic being. Okay, He's lumped in with a group of beings called the Elohim, which doesn't mean God the Father, but it means divine beings. They're part of God's counsel. So that's something for another day. So he's not an animal, I mean, animals don't talk, and animals are not shrewd. Okay, so this is definitely, the serpent might be more of a metaphor for this being, this angelic being. He's described in more detail in Ezekiel chapter 28 and Isaiah chapter 14. Revelation chapter 12 verse 9 tells us very specifically who he is at the very end of the Bible. So he starts out in Genesis 3 and at the end of the Bible we read in Revelation 12, 9, that that old serpent who is called the devil and Satan, and the word devil means, a, and Satan is a word which means to accuse. Okay? means to accuse. So, and it says that's who the serpent is. The dragon is that old serpent who is the devil and Satan. So he's called a dragon, too. He freely chose to oppose God's plans... For humanity, by prompting them to disobey God so that they would be kicked out of the garden, so they'd be killed. He wanted to destroy them. Why would this serpent, this angelic being, want to do away with human beings? Any ideas? You know what? That hadn't been spoken yet, but he may have known it anyway. That's a good point, Terry. But what about the idea that human beings are unique from the animals in what way? They're created in the image and likeness of God. Are angels created in the image and likeness of God? Not that we know of. What we are told in Hebrews chapter 3, or excuse me, 1. Chapter 1, verse 14, is that angels are created to serve those who are inheriting salvation. So angels are created by God to actually serve human beings. That might make the serpent mad, wouldn't it? If he knew that human beings were actually more like God than he was, especially when you read Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, where he wants to be God. And in the, in the book of Revelation at the end, and in Daniel, he wants, to, he wants the world to worship him. He asked Jesus to worship him. So let's keep moving forward here. So how does this affect us, this serpent, today? Here we are, thousands of years later. Are we affected by this same serpent, this same enemy? We are, aren't we? I just want to share just a couple quick passages. James 4, 7... And 1 Peter 5 8. 4, 7, 5, 8. Easy to remember. James 4 7. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Resist the devil and he will hang around and bother you some more? No, it says he will flee. That's James 4. What does 1 Peter 5 8 say? Anybody? Watch out, be watchful. For the, your enemy is a roaring lion seeking to devour. devour. You guys are getting down. Good. And it talks about, don't let him do that. Somebody have the verse? You can read the rest of it? Was there a verse after that? Stand firm and resist him. All right, we could talk, this is a whole sermon in itself on how to deal with our adversary. Okay, the second observation I have is we see a deceived wife and a passive husband in this situation. So let's read starting in verse 6. The woman was convinced by the serpent. She saw that the tree was beautiful, its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. And apparently she didn't think God was, she felt God was holding out on her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was um, at home. Oh, it doesn't say that. It says her husband was with her? Where was he? What was he doing? And he ate it too. So let me finish the sentences. There, verse 7. At that moment their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Oh, you can do a sermon on sermon after these verses here. But we don't have time. So let's just a couple things about the man and the woman. Now, it'll say in a slide in a second. If I don't say it now, I, I might forget We're not saying that all women are prone to being deceived, okay? The Bible doesn't say that, but it does say this woman was deceived and that all people can be deceived. Secondly, it doesn't say that all men are passive. It does say that this husband was passive. And it does say that passivity is a battle, maybe, for men. Some men, at least. And I know plenty of women that are passive too. So you can't just say it's only men. So now let's go on. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, we, we see we, there's two more verses that talk about Adam and Eve in this situation. Paul says, the Apostle Paul says, I fear that somehow your pure and devi- undivided devotion to Christ is going to be corrupted, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. And then in 1 Timothy 2.14, the Apostle Paul again says it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. It was the woman who was deceived, and sin was the result. So if the woman was received, was deceived, was the man deceived? In this situation, it doesn't say that. It says the man knew what he was doing. And he ate the apple. It was direct disobedience, knowing exactly what he was doing. She had been lured in. So that so that actually Adam. What's the greater sinner here? And so it's interesting situation. I'd love to hear. I'd love to have a little discussion group talk about this and, and see what you guys think about this. So turn to your spouse if you have a spouse here today or maybe if, if just a friend. How do we relate as husbands and wives when we think about this? Do you as a man feel like you struggle with passivity sometimes? Do you as a woman feel like I need We need to be in this together to make sure that the enemy isn't lying to either one of us. So, Good. I see people talking to each other. If you're single single and here, here by yourself, just run over and sit next to somebody if you want. There'll be another discussion question in a minute. I'll give you another 30-40 seconds as we are running a little late today and I want to say that I have struggled with passivity I have it's been hard Okay, we're going to get back on track here. Here's a couple passages of Scripture for you to look at that bear on these two issues, for husbands and wives and how you relate together. I'm not going to read them right now. Ephesians five twenty one through 23, 33, which is Ephesians 5, is, that's, the, that's the classic passage on, on marriage relationship from the Apostle Paul. And then 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter three verses one through seven. Yeah, do you want to use a microphone? I yeah. always got more in my head than what you're talking about. But I, I, what I'm thinking about here is is if you're single, you know, and, and I my heart goes out, and I think this is the power of us instead of the power of I. This is the power of deep and honest friendships where you go to somebody and you say, this is what I'm thinking about, and you've given those people enough permission in your life to be able to go, whoa, hold the fort, Nellie. Yeah, I think you're rushing into this. And we, we got to, to find those kind of friends and be deliberate in the cultivation of them. You know, if, if we don't have husband-and-wife relationships, then this is room where, where I mean, 60% of our nation at any time is single. So this is really an important part of, of, uh, and scripture talks about us developing relationships. That's what we're doing in our small groups. Is it's a way to start to develop friendships and, and, uh, and see God use those friendships. When, you, when you're in a small group talking to people, first of all, it helps you process. When you start talking about what you're actually thinking about, it helps you develop and go, oh, I never thought about that. Stuff starts to pop. Secondly, the people in your group start sharing. You go, Oh, wow, I never thought of that. And so there, there's, there's purpose when we talk to other people. That's why one of the reasons I encourage you to do that as your pastor. So, all right. So I encourage you to look at those scriptures, and uh, those are probably an additional to our, uh, our um, devotions for the week. Third, humans now experience shame and sin, okay? They lose their innocence or their eyes were opened. Let's read in verses 8. Through uh, 13, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord their God, Lord God, among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, "Where are you?" Now, do you think this is God didn't know where they were? He's asking them a question, so they will ask themselves, well, "Where am I?" And they will actually fess up to what has happened. Adam, the man replies. I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. The first thing we do when we sin, right? We hide. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, Of course, God, I was wrong and I did it. And I repent of my sin. Did he, is that what he said? No. He said, it was Her first instance of blame shifting how many people here in this room uh, that are married have never blame shifted how many people here who are single have never blame shifted so good we're all included that's true i just happen to think marriage too much because i'm married so 41 years so so how do we face and deal with chains clinking how do we face and deal with our sinful choices our feelings of shame it's so easy to want to run and hide when we feel exposed When God's saying run to me and we'll see a little while God actually provides covering they make clothing out of what fig leaves I don't think those were very designer but God makes clothing for them we'll re- read in a minute out of animal skins yeah, and we'll talk about that in a sec. All right, First John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, which means to uh, confess up and agree with God, that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to wash and cleanse us, make us clean again. I love that verse. In chapter 2, verse 1 first John, it says that, that Jesus is an advocate for us. He and the Holy Spirit are both advocates to help us. An advocate is a lawyer, a defense lawyer, It helps defend you when you're guilty, okay? And um, I'm just going to go ahead and go on. 1 John 3.20 is a powerful verse, too. But the fourth thing, I notice that there's fallout. There's consequences from the choices that they've made. And there's a promise of rescue from God. Then the Lord God said in verse 14 to the serpent, because you have done this, he talks to the serpent first, You are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And then note this verse here. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. We'll talk about that in a moment. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. And that's a very bad translation that I'll talk about in a sec. And in pain you will give birth, and your desire will be to control your husband, that he will rule over you. And to the man he said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made out of dust, and to dust you will return." immortality. So that verse there where it says that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent but the serpent would strike his heel and the reason that I believe strike his heel is that that wound will be overcome but the crushing of the head will never be overcome and we see that God is going he's, he's already put into place what it takes to completely destroy the adversary. So that verse 16 is really a tough verse. I want to read you a literal Hebrew translation from uh, Dr. Bruce Fleming. I will surely multiply your sorrowful toil. That Hebrew word, atzab, means to do field work, agricultural work. It's not about giving birth, okay? And your conception will also be multiplied, okay? I will multiply your toil in the field and your conception, or the word also means pregnancies, okay? So that doesn't necessarily mean God's curse. It doesn't mean God's cursing the woman in her childbirth, okay? And then further, with effort or pain and toil, you will bring forth children. Your loving desire, and that word tashukwa means a feminine longing of a woman for a man. Your loving desire is for your husband, but he, and this word here that means to rule over him, is a word that described the Philistines harshly ruling over Israel at one time in their history. That he is rebelliously, rebelliously ruling over himself and will rule or dominate or reign over you. In other words, God's saying this is the fallout from this disobedience is that your relationships are going to be difficult and that a man will tend to be independent and selfish and tend to dominate women. That's why when Jesus came and redeemed us, he transforms the way we relate to one another. That's why the Apostle Paul says to the man, love your wife as Christ loves the church. And then he tells them both to submit to one another. Before the fall, that was the way the relationship was with a man and a woman. It wasn't a one over the other. It was a co leadership of creation rulership of creation so much we could talk about here but again we're we're too short on time first peter uh, 2 verse 19 through 23 talks about how we deal with the consequences of our sin and other people's sin because the sin nature now that adam and eve have fallen it's passed down romans 5:12 says when adam sinned sin entered the world Adam's sin brought death, and so death spread to everyone, for everyone sins. So notice it doesn't say sin spread to everyone, it says death spread to everyone. God is not saying that you automatically have to sin. He's just saying that now there's this weakness in us, where we, we sin. How many of you had to teach your baby to lie to you or to have an attitude? Have your, have your granddaughters, Sam, have, they, have you had to teach them how to have a fit and be mad? No, it just comes. (laughs) It just comes. We thank you, Adam and Eve. So, fifth point, God makes the first sacrifice here to cover sin and to cover the shame. He starts redeeming us right away in the garden. It's amazing. Then the man, verse 20, Adam, named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. God shed innocent blood of an animal in order to make a covering for Adam and Eve. What does that say to you? Isn't that amazing? God cared enough. He wanted fellowship restored. Is fellowship restored by those sacrifices? It is, but those sacrifices were not sufficient to do it forever. And that's why we read in the book of Hebrews, Jesus sacrifice once and for all Covered everything. His sacrifice actually took into himself all the sacrificial animals, and Jesus' sacrifice stretches all the way back and all the way forward to cover our sins. It's amazing. Now we see from this point on, Abel brought sin and Cain, I mean, brought an offering. Cain's offering was rejected because it didn't involve blood, it didn't involve sacrifice, it involved bringing a gift of fruit and vegetables. We see Enoch, we see all the way through Noah offering sacrifices. And then, of course, with the, the Hebrews in the Old Testament. Have your sins this morning, have they been covered? Have you received His forgiveness? And if I had more time, I'd go into these verses that I wrote down, 2 Corinthians 5 and John chapter 1. You can write those down. They're amazing. And the last point, God moves to protect us Human beings from unending separation. He prevented a fixed, fallen state where we would always be fallen. He actually created a, a doorway for us to be restored and not be, not be sinners, continuous sinners. Verse 22, Then the Lord God said, Look, the human beings have become like us. Knowing both good and evil, what if they reach out, take the fruit from the tree of life, and eat it? Then they will live forever in that state, okay, that they're now in, that fallen state. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden and sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he'd been made. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden. Then he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the Tree of Life. Are we ever going to see the Tree of Life again? You have, uh, you can watch the last slide Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. I just want to look at this. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with, each, with a fresh crop each month. The leaves are used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there and His servants will worship Him. And they will see His face and His name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign forever and ever. Thank you, Lord God. The tree, the garden will be restored. The river of life will be there. The tree of life will be there. God had to protect us from that tree of life until we could come through Jesus. So this morning, as we close, just a couple questions on the next slide. What are you taking away from this morning? Think about that. Maybe write that down. How will you answer the three questions that we started with? We've already talked about that pretty good. It's good to think about that. How has God challenged you today? What's going to change? So now, as we go, I want to pass out family devotions to those who don't have the app. And Brooke, would you give some out on that side? So I'm going to close in prayer and then I'm going to pass these out. So God, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the power of your word. There was so much that we couldn't talk about today, but there was a lot we did. And we thank you that you move so quickly, Lord, to reunite us. To bring us back into relationship with you, in spite of our sin, in spite of our rebellion, you desire to know us, to walk with us, to forgive us, to cleanse us. God, help us to receive the gift of your Son. We thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Anybody else need?